Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I think about the story um, which happened in the run-up to, Je- to Easter, in the run-up to Jesus' death and resurrection, and we're going to be thinking about the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem and his triumphant entry on Palm Sunday. A little bit of intro to me. Um, I'm Mikey. I've been at CCM here for about probably about five years now, and I'm originally from London, uh, but I'm mixed race and my mum's from Malaysia. And growing up as a child, we'd regularly go across to Malaysia to visit family, to see friends, and to connect to that part of our culture. And I probably went probably about five to ten times as a child. And most of those trips blur into one. And I can't exactly remember when I went or how it was, but, you know, I remember seeing family, eating food. That was mostly what we did. Um, And it was great. But I most of it all blurs into one, except for one specific time when we went back which I remember really clearly because it was very different. And that's because we went back to Malaysia at the time of Chinese New Year. Um, Now, my mum's from a family of Chinese heritage, so Chinese New Year is a big deal. Um, And it felt like, for me, not I mean, we'd have a Chinese New Year meal when we'd be in the UK, but we didn't really really celebrate it properly. And then going across to Malaysia, where everyone was celebrating it, it just felt like everyone had gone a little bit crazy. Like, in that week of Chinese New Year celebrations, I ate more food than I thought was possible. I saw more family than I thought anyone could even have family. I received more, like, red packets of money than I could even hold. Like, it was, like, an absolutely, like... It just felt, to me, like an overwhelming week where we're just, like, constantly bombarded with, this is your third cousin, this is your... this is. And they were like, wow. Um, and I guess that's just what holiday season is, though. Most cultures, most cultures around the world have their own holiday season. Um, certainly in the UK, the main one is Christmas. It definitely feels at times at Christmas that everyone's just going a little bit mad. Everyone's just doing a little crazy. People are obsessing about, oh, I need to, um, what we're going to eat for Christmas, where are we going to have Christmas, what presents are you going to get, have you bought your Christmas presents yet? It just feels like those times when people are just, again, getting a bit carried away. And that's just what holiday season is. Uh, it was also holiday season in Israel at the time. It wasn't Chinese New Year, it wasn't Christmas. It was their, their biggest holiday, um, which was the holiday of Passover. And so the tradition for Passover at the time was that everyone, or almost everyone, would pilgrimage and trek down to Jerusalem, which was like the capital city of Israel, for a week of festivities and worship. And Jesus himself, he was walking down with his disciples, of his followers, from the area that they were, had grew up in. So that's the area of Galilee, like up north, all the way down to the other side of the country, which is Jerusalem, the capital city down south. And it, the thing about it, it wasn't just them walking. And that's the thing I want to get in your head as we're thinking about this. Everyone from Galilee was doing this. This was holiday season. Everyone was off work. Everyone had time, and they were all walking down together. Nowadays, it's like a two-hour drive to get from... I looked it up on Google Maps. But um, in that time, they didn't have a car, and the rich people would have ridden a horse or whatever. But most of the people, almost everyone in the entire country, would have been on foot walking down to Jerusalem. I cast like, imagine Christmas, except everyone in Manchester was walking like the distance to Birmingham, like all at the same time. Like, that's what was happening here. And I know that if I'd been living in first century Galilee 2,000 years ago, there was only one person who I wanted to make sure my journey coincided at a similar time with. Jesus was the main celebrity at the time. He was the main, everyone would have been talking about him. Everyone would have been known about him and heard about him. 
and if you're going to have to walk to, to Jerusalem, you probably wanted to walk so you're close-ish to, to Jesus. So they must have been talking to people each other. Do you know when Jesus is walking down? Do you know when that's going to happen? Oh, my cousin's a disciple. I'll ask him when they're leaving so I can make sure we leave at the same time so we can hear his teaching at the same... You know, like that, that would have been happening and all those people would have been talking about it and trying to go. And you can imagine for days this journey, so it probably took about nearly a week of them walking... Like for days, there would have been this crowd of thousands of people around Jesus walking the whole way down. You can imagine the conversations they'd be having, getting excited at Passover, seeing people again. They're off work. They're on holiday for a couple of weeks. Oh, I haven't seen you in so long. How's so-and-so doing? Oh, did you hear they got married? Did you hear this happen? Oh, I'm so excited to celebrate Passover. Where are you celebrating Passover this year? Where are you going to stay? And all those conversations. And in amongst those conversations, which would have happened every year, this particular year, there would have been a lot of hype about Jesus. Everyone had heard of Jesus. Everyone knew what was happening here. And, you must have, and there were all kinds of rumours and gossip flying about. So many people have been like, who is this Jesus anyway? I've heard so many things about him. Have you seen any of his miracles? Yeah, my mate got healed. He had a broken arm and it got healed. It's incredible. Oh, wait, do you think he's really the promised king? I don't know about that. Oh, did you hear the Pharisees really hate? That, that must mean so much. Like in the conversations which people would be having for this week walking down to Jerusalem, so much gossip, so much chat must have been going on about Jesus. And that's the context in which we're jumping into. That's what's happening as we hit our Bible story for today. I want to focus just on a couple of stories from the Bible today, right towards the end of this journey. As Jesus has done this walk with all these thousands of people around him, they're coming towards the end of their journey. And this is in Mark chapter 10. Um, it's, it's this, Mark is one of the stories of Jesus. It's one of the stories that Mark, a person who wrote a biography about Jesus, chose to document. And in his build-up to the account of Jesus' death and resurrection, these are the stories he chose to include at the end of this journey as Jesus heads towards Jerusalem. So we're going to pick it up in Mark chapter 10, towards the end of the chapter, at verse 46. Um, as Jesus and his disciples and the enormous crowd with them walk into this town called Jericho, which is about a day away from Jerusalem, like they're nearly in Jerusalem, and this is where we are. So I'm going to read from Mark 10, verse 46 to 52, which should hopefully also be on the screen behind me. Right. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man, cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. Then Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see. And he followed Jesus down the road. I feel like sometimes when we read stories like this, uh, we can lose the fo- like we can lose the significance of it because we're so used to seeing stories like this. In Mark's go- in Mark's book, this is like a very tense chapter. We've already seen stories of Jesus healing people, and it can kind of sometimes feel like this is Jesus. This is a blind guy. Could it be any more obvious? We know what's going to happen. No, yeah, cool. Jesus heals him. Great. Lovely. Wonderful. Hallelujah. Move on. Um, like sometimes like that's the impression which we can get when we, we forget we lose the significance because we're so used to these amazing stories of Jesus healing people. And actually, Mark's really deliberate about what he includes. He's already included other stories of Jesus healing people. 
Um, he doesn't include every detail of Jesus' life, otherwise the book of the Bible would be much bigger than it is right now. Mark chooses bits to include because he thinks they're really important, because they fit into his main narrative of what he's trying to get his audience to be thinking about. And this is actually a really significant passage in the, for the readers of Mark as they see the journey of who Jesus is. Because that's the big question Mark's been building up. It's the question of who is Jesus? Is he really the king that he says he is? Is he really the Messiah? Is he really the son of God? That would have been the big question at the time, and that would have been the big question for Mark throughout Mark's gospel, and he drops in lots of hints. And this is a really um, important story in that. I mean, the story itself, let's, I don't want to brush over it. It is amazing and inspiring. Let's, you know, let's look at the details. Like, it is interesting. You've got this guy, Bartimaeus, and he hears the rumours. He must have come on the road. Jesus is coming. Jesus is going to be about a day away. He's going to be here in a few hours. The people running ahead, the people on horses, the rich people coming past me, like, yeah, Jesus will be here in a few hours. And you, Bartimaeus, you can imagine him sitting by the side of the road going, this is my chance. This, is, this, could, be, this could be it. And he knows, he has faith that Jesus can heal him. He believes that Jesus is going to do it. And so he's shouting out. He, doesn't, he can't see Jesus. He doesn't know where he is. But he's desperate to be healed. He's desperate to be changed. And even despite the peer pressure of other people saying, shut up, be quiet. You know, Jesus doesn't want you. He's desperate and he's shouting out, Jesus, heal me, heal me, heal me. And obviously, Jesus hears him, tells him to come to him, and heals him wonderfully and incredibly. And I just want to really like focus on the final verse of that passage, verse 52, um, because there's three details in there, and they're all really significant. And I read verse 52 again. And Jesus said to him, go, because your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Each one of those three details is really important. Um, it was the man's faith, his belief, his trust in Jesus that healed. That was why Jesus healed him. Um, the, the guy, Bartimaeus, he believed that Jesus was who he was. He had that faith and that trust that Jesus was going to be the one to heal him. And instantly he could see and he could see everything clearly. And that phrase, the man could see, or in other translations, could see everything clearly, actually is like a repeated theme in Mark of like how well people could see. And in that context, the fact that Bartimaeus sees everything clearly is so important because it's like other people in Mark, a lot of the crowd, a lot of the disciples even, hadn't really seen everything clearly. They hadn't really got who Jesus was. And here, Mark using the phrase, he could see everything clearly, shows that Bartimaeus got it. He understood who Jesus was. He fully got that Jesus was God, that he was the son of God, and he was the one who was going to heal and save. And what he does is he follows Jesus down the road. He gives it all up, leaves his life in Jericho behind, and as Jesus continues his walk to Jerusalem, Bartimaeus goes and follows Jesus down the road. He's now a follower of Jesus. He's now someone who's fully committed to living for Jesus. And the story of Bartimaeus is that this is someone we want to emulate. This is the story right, why Mark includes this, is because he's wanting his readers to go, we should be like Bartimaeus. We, want to, we should be emulating Bartimaeus. We should have, the impact Jesus has on Bartimaeus should be the impact he has on our life if you've ever experienced Jesus or you've ever met him. If the story of Jesus is true, and most of us here in church believe that it was, we believe this is a historical event, we believe Jesus was actually legit and the story of Easter, which we're going to think about next week, actually happened. If that is true, the implication of that is that you believe that we've been healed of something way bigger than what Bartimaeus was healed from. Not just blindness, but something far more significant. And if Bartimaeus being healed from blindness meant he gave up everything, not that he had much, but then ran down the road and was like, I'm following Jesus now, 
the implication is that we should be doing that as well. And we'll come back to that thought, park that thought there. We'll come back to it, and we'll come back to it as we wrap up the sermon later. We'll think about that talk a bit more. Um, But I want to first move on to the next Bible passage which we're looking at, um, because there's a slightly different reaction to Jesus from slightly different people here. And I think this one's equally as interesting and has similar as different, but also relevant application for each of us here. So that's the next bit, which is Mark chapter 11, starting at verse 1. So that's the next section. And this is Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. That's like, now they're like a couple of hours from Jerusalem. They're like really close. They can see Jerusalem in the distance. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one's ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say... The Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they'd cut in the fields. Jesus was in the centre of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of, Je- of, the, name of the Lord. Blessings in the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in highest heaven. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. <laughs> um, this is a really significant scene. This is what gives the name to Palm Sunday. This is an iconic scene from the Bible mentioned in all, in all the gospel writings. Um, and there's so much going on. And there's one specific angle which I want to look at, which I think which is something I've been thinking about for a while, which I feel like God's put in my heart, and which I feel like is going to be really helpful and relevant to a lot of us here. Um, but before we come to that, I just want to think, just think about this passage in general and see what actually happens. So starting at the first one, the first thing that happens is Jesus sends his disciples to go and get this donkey. It's a bit of a random story. It's a bit of a random detail. Um, I don't really know if this is something that Jesus had arranged in advance and had set up that there was going to be a donkey there or whether Jesus just knew supernaturally that there was a donkey owner who didn't mind his donkey being nicked. Don't really know. Um, either way... Jesus and his disciples had this donkey, this colt, um, and this, is, this was actually a fulfilment of Old Testament prophecy. So about 500, 600 years before, um, a prophet of our God, Zechariah, had said in his book, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now Jesus and most of the people around him, they knew that passage. They were familiar with the stories about the Messiah in the Old Testament. And in Jesus sitting on this donkey as he goes into Jerusalem, he's making a deliberate statement that the people around in the crowd would not have missed. Jesus is stating, by sitting on this donkey as he comes into Jerusalem, I am the king. Jesus is saying that he is the Messiah, that he is the son of God. He is making that statement, saying that he is the fulfillment of that prophecy in Zechariah. That's big. And imagine what the crowd would have felt like. The crowd would react to that as well. Or most of the people in the crowd would have been familiar with that story, of that prophecy as well. And as they see Jesus sat on a donkey coming into Jerusalem, the significance is not lost on them. And you can imagine what the crowd further and the excitement would have been like. 
It's kind of like being at a gig or a sports event, but like on an even bigger scale. But I don't know if you've ever been to a gig or a sports event, but beforehand, you're, you know, you're sitting down, you're on your phone, you're chatting to the person next to you quietly. But once something gets started, once there's energy being brought by the artist or the sports team or anything else you're watching, um, you can see everyone starting to join in. The cheering starts to raise up. People start to sing along. People start to get involved. And there's that excitement, that being part of a crowd that makes you do things that you would never do by yourself. Um, and in this case, you can imagine the excitement, not for the sports team or the artists, but for Jesus. There would be thousands of people here. This is enormous. All of these people, the entirety of Israel at this point, have been walking down to Jerusalem. A lot of them were already there. And you can hear again the noise coming, like, Jesus is coming. He's on a donkey. He's making a statement. He's like, oh, this, this is it. This is, you know, the, the hype and excitement of the crowds going, wait, this is... A they, they, the significance was not lost in them. And, you can, and they all just honour him like they would a ruling leader. They throw down their clothes in front of him so he has like a, I don't know, more comfortable path into Jerusalem. The palm branches are laid down to show honour for him. That, and it's as if they're treating him like the ruling king that he is. And the crowd is getting really, really excited and whipped up and thrilled by it. And then they praise him in amazing ways. Praise God. Blessings on the one that comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of David. They understand who Jesus is and they are praising him with all their heart. That's who Jesus is. That's who this, this, this passage is making a statement of who Jesus is. It's a glorious image of Jesus coming in power. It's a wonderful glimpse of who he really is. Um, and we could spend ages talking about the theological implications of it, and many sermons have been done about it. Um, but I want to really focus, and the angle I want to look at this passage, um, is to think perhaps a little bit more about those people in the crowd. Now, some of them would have been Jesus followers from day one. Some of them would have been people who had been the disciples or the people who had followed Jesus the entire time. But actually, like a lot of them we know had a really strange idea of who Jesus as Lord was. A lot of those people in the crowd shouting and cheering for Jesus actually had like misguided ideas of who Jesus was. We know one of the key ideas at the time was that they all hoped that Jesus would be the king to come and kick out the Roman Empire and that they thought that Jesus would be the guy to like destroy the corrupt system and to bring justice. Actually, in less than a week, Jesus died on a cross and the crowd so many of them probably fell away were were a bit disappointed by that so many of them despite being fully praising and going yeah we love Jesus Hosanna hallelujah when it got a little bit difficult later on when it wasn't so cool to follow Jesus when he was hanging on a cross you can imagine some of them were probably a little bit embarrassed that they were ever even there in the first place some of them probably in this crowd at this moment were just there because of the crowd fervor. They were just there because their friends were there and they were seeing it and they were excited. They were just there because they had this hope in Jesus in a weird idea and had a really strange idea of who he was. But I think one thing I find so interesting and actually really reassuring is that Jesus still embraced their praise. He still was on the donkey going into Jerusalem and was still like, yeah, he still loved their praise. He still loved their worship. Even though some people were misguided, he didn't say, no, stop worshipping me. He wanted them to come to him no matter whatever their thoughts were, no matter where they were at in their faith, no matter whether they actually fully believed in him or not, he wanted them to come and praise him. 
Um, and he could have stopped the crowd. He could have been on the donkey and gone, no, you, you're not, you're not a real follower of me. You're not going to be with me in a week. You, you've got no idea what I'm doing. And he could have just gone, no, you stop praising me. Uh, he didn't do it. I mean, that would have been ridiculous. But, you know, he didn't do that. He wanted everyone, no matter who they were, no matter where they were at, he wanted them to come and praise him. And I think this really ties to something which I think we can feel in our context today or which I know I've felt at times in my own spiritual life. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's something that really damages and stops people coming to faith and really damages the spiritual life. It's this fear of, like, I'm not worthy. I'm not authentic. I can't truly worship Jesus. I'm not really in that place. I'm not sure what I believe. I don't know if he's actually real. I don't, and we often then think, because of all those things, God, Jesus doesn't want our praise. And it's just not true. In this context, Jesus knew a lot of that crowd weren't authentic. He knew a lot of that crowd weren't really understanding fully what Jesus was about. He still was like, yeah, come and praise me. Come and meet me. Come and worship me. That's what he wanted the people to be doing. And I think, like, that's what I want to say to everyone here is, like, Jesus wants anyone to come to him. Actually, we believe, it's a bit mad, but we believe that nowadays we've got actually more access to Jesus than even the crowd at the time did. Like, for them, they were standing by the side of the road. Jesus was riding past the donkey. Like, we believe that because Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, if you want to come to Jesus, you can talk to him now and just, like, pray and ask him now. Like, no matter where you're at, and Jesus wants your praise he wants, like, every single person in the world, whether they fully believe in him, whether they don't know what they believe, whether they once believed but have sort of fallen away and aren't really sure what they're about right now, whether they are struggling with sin, whether they're finding something really difficult, whether they are a bit overwhelmed, whether they don't like any of those circumstances, Jesus still wants you, he wants me, to come to him and be honest and open with him. And we want that to be what church is like as well. Like, it's great that, I don't know where each one of us are at. I don't know where you're at. I don't know where I'm at. I know I've had times when I've come into church feeling like a complete fraud. I don't know if any of you feel in that place right now. But if you do, or not, either way, it doesn't matter, that's okay. Church should be a place of all th- where we can come and be honest. I want you to, you know, take this place and just go, like, look, it doesn't matter where you're at. God wants you to be honest, to be worshipping him um, truly. And just to be open about that. And because that's where the crowd worshipped him, that's where he was up to. And I think that's one big truth. One of the big truths from today's passage, one of the big truths about that crowd is that they worshipped him wherever they were at, um, in, their, in their own place, in wherever they were at in their faith. And Jesus wanted their praise. He accepted it and he wanted them to come to him. And he wants everyone to come to him regardless of where they're at. But I think another key message in the passage, and the second main message in the passage... Um, is to think about God. God wants our all. Whilst he accepts us wherever we're at, he also wants us to fully commit to him. That's the core in our life that God is making. A lot of this crowd weren't genuine followers of Jesus, and that's really sad. A lot of them were praising Jesus in the moment and going, yeah, Hosanna, hallelujah to the king. But a week later, when a different crowd was saying, let's kill Jesus, there probably been a few people in both crowds. And that's really sad. Actually, what God wants us is he wants us to fully commit to him like Bartimaeus did. Giving up it all, realising, so going back to Bartimaeus, realising, I've been healed. We've been healed. 
I believe for Jesus. We can see everything clearly, and I'm going to give my life and follow him down the road. That's what God is calling us to do. That's what God wants every single one of us to do, and to put him first in our lives. And I think that some of us can think, oh, yeah, I come to church. I, you know, worship God a bit. I've raised my hands in worship. I, you know, live a generically nice Christian life. That's fine. That's all good. That's all Jesus wants us to do. That's all God wants from us. Oh, people think I'm okay. You know, people at the time, I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I was in that crowd saying, Hosanna, I put a palm branch. He walked over my, my cloak. It was great, you know, yeah. And actually, like, no, that's not like a follow. Like, actually, just, just doing that doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. God's call in our life is challenging. It's big. It's to take up, Jesus says elsewhere in the gospel, to take up our cross and follow him. The demand in our life like this, from this passage is big. We should be like Bartimaeus, giving up as much as we can um, to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Um, because we've been, because like I said, we've, if you believe this is true, you believe that we've been healed of something so much bigger than blindness. And that you believe that actually like the transformation Jesus has done in your life, if you're a Christian, is so much bigger than even the transformation that happened to Bartimaeus in that moment for not being able to see, to being able to see. And we should live as people who have been saved. We should live as people who are willing to give things up to chase after Jesus, who are willing to sacrifice um, whatever it is, whether it's a commitment, whether it's friendships, whether it's your phone, whether it's your work, whether it's a sin that you're struggling with, whether, to be willing to go, actually, you know what, if I'm putting Jesus first, it means giving these things up. It means making our decisions with him at the centre. So to wrap up, there are two big facts, which I guess I've said as applications from today's passage, two big facts here, which is that like, Jesus wants anyone to come to him, wherever you're at, he wants you to. You're not, there's no, you're not too bad to come to Jesus. You're not like so far away that he's going to just ignore you and say, no, I'm not talking to you, I don't want your praise. That's never the case. He accepts everyone to come to him regardless of where they're at. If you feel like you've fallen away from faith, you can still come back to him and, you can st- and he will listen to you and he will accept you if you turn to him. And that's a huge fact and a true amazing fact. Um, but also, Jesus wants full commitment from our lives as well. And we sometimes talk in um, life about like a balance, you know, and a balance is great when it comes to like dieting. You know, a bit of this, a bit of that, you know, like lovely. Um, <laughs> But I don't want a bit of this, a bit of that, because I know that's how I live my life sometimes. And I live, oh, I'll have a bit of like, yeah, Jesus wants everyone, almost everyone to come to him. And he wants, as long as I'm a little bit good, then he'll accept me. So I need to be a little bit good first. And then actually Jesus wants, no, he doesn't want full commitment. He wants like most of the commitment. You know, like, I'll, you know, he wants most of my life. And like, we kind of find a balance between these two in terms of like, yeah, all right, like, you know, Jesus wants me to be a little bit good. And, you know, like, and no, 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 no. Actually, like in this, context um jesus wants us to have huge views of both of these things we need to like have a such a big view of no matter where i'm at jesus i can come back to jesus no matter how bad i've been i can come back to jesus but also in coming back to jesus i need to commit to living my life wholeheartedly as much as i can for him because that's the call that he's making in life that's what the gospel message is about and there's so many other bio passages which just tell us about how wonderful and how incredible a life devoted to jesus is and i would love to tell and spend ages talking about how great it is but just talk to someone who's a christian and they'll tell you about how wonderful it is to follow jesus wholeheartedly um, even though it's tough and it's tough and i don't know I've, I've, i'm saying this knowing how difficult it is to fully commit to jesus um 
you know, it's something I struggle with. It's something I've definitely failed so much. And we're never going to be perfectly followers of Jesus, perfect followers of Jesus in this life. Um, there's no, you know, that's just what it is, and that's what God knows. And every single time we fail, we can come back to him. But I don't want us to just settle for being a sort of half follower of Jesus, to go, yeah, look, Jesus wants me to live a generically Christian life. I don't want us to settle saying, yeah, that's okay. I'll just live a life that everyone else thinks is fine. No, that's all right. That's all that Jesus wants from me. No, like the gospel message, as we think about Easter next week, we're thinking of Jesus dying to take the sins of the world. It's huge. And the implication of that is it should demand my soul, my life, my all. It should demand everything from each of us, as much as we can, and we're going to fail, and that's why the Holy Spirit comes in, and that's why there's grace, and that's why I keep coming back to God. Um, but that's what he wants from us. So we're about to sing, we're about to worship, we're about to praise God. We're going to do that in a moment. And as we do, I say just think about these things, come back to Jesus, um, come back to him and go, hey, I'm just going to praise you, no matter where you're at, no matter whether you're feeling like you're struggling, whether you feel like you're in a great place, just use this as a time to recommit to Jesus, to sing your heart out, to praise him like the crowd on the road, and to say, look, Jesus, you're great, and we want to be singing praises like the crowd by the side of the road.